Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step Journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Hello, my name is Chris Maxwell, and I'm here with my dear friend Tracy Reynolds and Next Step Leadership. And uh, Tracy, what an honor it is uh, not only to have these conversations with you, but to have conversations with people that we believe are impacting lives. And our uh, conversation today will be with someone who has had a deep impact in my life. Well, today I am so excited to have Philip Yancey with us. Uh, This is... um, just read his most recent book and have followed you for years, Philip. And mm. but uh, where the light fell, uh, I wasn't expecting you to be so. Uh, well, you're always been honest yeah. and forthcoming and authentic. Right. But uh, boy, I, I to learn about you growing up was super meaningful because, uh, like Chris, I've been reading after you for probably thirty plus years as as a believer and helping shape my faith. Uh, so it's uh, it's a blessing to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us, Philip. Well, you're right. This is a different uh, book than I've written before. It's the, I call it the prequel. It explains yeah. why I kept uh, going back to the same themes over and over and telling stories. Uh, it, it's not an idea-driven book. Most of my books are. All of them are, actually, except this one. Yeah. And this one is just a, it's just a straight story, which is, uh, as you say, has some surprises because I've never written about some of these things before. But I grew up not too far from where you guys are, down right. in the suburbs of Atlanta, yeah. and got a real strong dose of Southern fundamentalism back in that racist era, right as mm. the civil rights movement was going on. And I just kind of tell it like it was. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you tell it you tell it so well. Um, I've told you before that uh, each of your books impacted me, affected me, encouraged me, challenged me in so many ways. And and then over the years, hearing you speak, reading uh, what you've written, um, it's, it's, it's like I can find parts of my story mm-hmm. in your story, even though each of our mm-hmm. stories are unique and and different. Um, but in thinking. Uh, about this latest book, Where the Light Fell, I, I, I feel like it's uh, kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia. It, it takes us back to an earlier story that we saw segments of in the previous mm-hmm. books. Um, you know, you took us different places in each of your books and facing those questions and the scars and the wounds. But now you've taken us back and, and you've revealed what I believe you needed to write and what I know that many of us needed to read. Yeah. Hmm. It's something that I discovered in the process, too, Chris. I, I, uh, I started with a blank slate. In fact, I likened it to getting a thousand-piece picture puzzle, you know, a jigsaw puzzle, but with no picture on the front to guide me. Mm. And I had all these little scenes and memories and scraps of my childhood and, and early adulthood, and I started piecing them together. And finally, after I got all the pieces together, a picture did emerge, and that picture is who I am now. But it was a discovery process, and Mm. what I found, and I I offer this as encouragement to your readers, what I found is that 
In that process, I found that even the things that we most resent or regret about our lives can be used by God in a redemptive way. Right. I, I certainly experienced that. And I, I'm glad that I didn't start out with this book because I wouldn't have been able to have the perspective I have now. I, the, the stories that I tell launched me in my writing career, which is why I often take the skeptic's point of view, mm-hmm. and I, I struggle with questions about uh, hypocrisy in the church mm-hmm. and failures in the church and doubts and things like that. And some people say, why do you always uh, keep going back to those things? Well, where the light fell explains why, but I'm glad mm-hmm. I, I waited until I had done the struggling before I went back and told the story behind them, because uh, I, I want people to, to judge the other books on their own merits, not trying to mm-hmm. psychologize, oh, he wrote this because, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm 72 years old now. It's a time when we start to reflect back on life and put it together. And I, I recommend writing a memoir. If someone yes. wants to try to figure out their life, uh, sit down and write a memoir. It'll take a long time. It'll, you'll pull your hair out. Uh, <laughs> doesn't apply to you, Chris. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Well, I, I, I call it, uh, and, and you know, as I've written the story of my, my health issues and my struggles, I call it painfully healing. Mm. And I thought about that as I was reading your book because I could see the pain in the pages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your, your sentences, your stories. I noticed the pain, but I believe it was painfully healing for you in many ways. And I know it was for me as I was reading that. And, and Tracy mm. and I have talked about it. Um, many of the people who, who listen to our podcast are are. Are, are many different ages, but a, a high percentage are the younger generation that, that we've mentored, and now we're going to pass the torch on to them. Mm-hmm. And those are the stories, though, are stories like yours. Those are the stories they need to read, they need to hear, because there's pain in this life. And how do we find that balance of, of doing what you've done and, and be affected by the pain, but not controlled by it, affected by it, and then yeah. bring hope to the rest of us yeah. in our own pains and scars? That's a good way to put it, be affected by it, but not controlled by it. I, I've i been a journalist for almost 50 years now, and I've interviewed a lot of people, including a lot of people who've gone through pain. For a while there, when I was younger, I, I wrote a number of the drama in real life stories in, in Reader's Digest, these uh, gut-wrenching stories of disaster. And um, I came away with, with this conclusion, and that is that pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. Mm-hmm. You know, when people, wow. when people go through, you hear you have a, a chronic illness or even a terminal illness, your first response is you want God to take it away. You want God <laughs> yeah. to heal you right away. And occasionally that does happen, but they're miracles. They're not everyday occurrences. Yeah. And so not everybody gets one of those miracles. And as I've interviewed people and gotten to know them. I could give you so many examples. It really is true that those who stick it out and keep their faith and let God use even the bad things. I, I go back to that chapter in Romans 8. A lot of people misquote that verse, eight, Romans eight twenty eight. They think it says, when you're a Christian, you love God, only good things will happen to you. It doesn't say that at all. It says, <laughs> It says all of these things can be used by God or, or you with God for his glory. 
And then later on in the chapter, Paul refers to some of the things in his life. Man, you think we have hard lives. (laughs) (laughs) Paul had torture and imprisonment and snakebite and shipwreck and Mm -hmm. just one thing after another. And yet he was able to look back and say, it it was all used by God. All things work together yeah. for mm-hmm. his glory and for our benefit. So it, it really impresses me that pain, pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. I love that phrase. I, I heard Jim Peterson say years ago that God never wastes pain. Hmm, that's great. It's that's it's great. too precious a commodity, uh, and yeah. it's uh, in reading uh, your most recent book, I, I was taken back to you had uh, a fundamentalist background mm-hmm. uh, in the South where there was racism all around you, and you uh, tell the stories. Um, Tell us a bit about how God has redeemed some of the, the back. I, I tell you what, I, I read last night thinking, I told my wife, I said, you know, it's a miracle that Philip still loves Jesus after all <laughs> of the things uh, that, that you experienced. Um, how, how did you survive and thrive in the midst of all that? Well, that's the whole book story, isn't it? Um, Somebody sent me a survey. I think it was from a group called Fundamentalist Anonymous. <laughs> and it's a survey on uh, reflecting on your life, things that, uh, that kind of stuck the wrong way. And, right. and uh, I filled out this survey, things you most resent, things you learn from. And at the end of it, to my surprise, I had more positives than negatives. I looked mm-hmm. back and... Um, I got a full dose of the Bible. My mother was a Bible teacher, and I heard the same story Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday <laughs> every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We In high school years, we lived on a church property. We lived in a trailer, 8 by 48 feet. Yeah. Uh, we were always in poverty on the church property. So every time the doors were open, we were expected to be there. And went to camps that my mother directed during the summer. So I never got away from from the whole Bible story. And and I'm grateful for that now. I wasn't so much then, but I, I did learn the Bible. And I, I learned discipline. And you know, there were a lot of these crazy rules about you don't go bowling because they might sell alcohol there. And don't go roller skating. looks too much like dancing. And don't go mixed bathing, they called it, whatever that is. Right. But, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't hang around people of the opposite sex, basically. Don't wear makeup. Don't wear jewelry, all this stuff. And when you're a kid and you're feeling odd and different than the rest of the world, you you resent some of those things. But I, I've got to say, uh, compared to today's let it all hang out, hook up country culture, uh, we were protected from much of that. I mean, right. we uh, the worst thing any of my friends ever did was smoke a cigarette. I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. but nobody drank, and certainly nobody used drugs. So. And this was in the 19, early 1960s when the whole culture was going in a very different direction. So I had the, uh, I guess I, I could call it an advantage, didn't feel like it, but I had the pattern of watching my older brother who went in a different direction. And he, he did drop out of school, started using drugs, uh, moved into a commune. And I saw that, uh, that that freedom, it looked like freedom. He's going to get away from all that stuff right. from the past. And he ended up being enslaved. He ended up being addicted to many of those things, to sex and drugs and alcohol, and uh, suffered deeply because of it. 
So I, it, it, it took me a while to separate out the stuff that was worth keeping and the stuff that was tainted in some way or even just mm. flat out wrong, like the racism I was taught in church. And that's been my that's been my goal as a writer to pick up these things one by one. Who is Jesus? What is grace? Does prayer work? And figure out what can I retain that was good for my past, right. and what should I discard because it's just not it's not true. Mm-hmm. So many of us who are followers of Christ uh, have been trained or encouraged to not leave the questions hanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. so much of the Bible does that. I mean, the it stories does. of Jesus yeah. is like writing, writing these wonderful opportunities he has to, to advance his ministry. He's gone. <laughs> he just leaves. Yeah. He just leaves the house. Yeah. Um, but I, I believe that the, the questions that you bring to us are questions that are swirling. But instead, mm. of, um, instead of running from those questions, you faced the questions. And as you face the questions... I just see grace all over it. I mean, in your pages, your stories, there's grace. And um, mm. so, so what are ways that we can respond the right way to the the pains and the questions of life, um, so that we can? Hey, yeah, there's this toxic faith, and we've got the toxic leaders, but we do not have to be controlled by them. We can learn from, but move in healthy directions. Right. It's a great question, and for your younger listeners, particularly, uh, you're trying to you're trying to get away from certain things, things you don't like about your family, things you don't like about your church. So you're reacting. It's easy to do that. It's easy to pick out flaws and say, uh, "They're that person's a hypocrite. They're not measuring up." And you're probably right. And, and I would say, try to switch that emphasis. And part of maturity is trying to figure out okay, there's a lot of things I don't like about people around me, but who would I like to be like? Who would mm-hmm. I like to emulate? And that's, that's basically what Jesus did when he was on earth. He just took these 12 people around and went through the ordinary days with them, and, and gradually they figured out what God was like and what Jesus was like. And there's, a, there's a, an author, a Christian author, a Jewish recently converted Christian named David Brooks, who works for the New York Times. And he says, there are two kinds of virtues. There are resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Hmm. Resume virtues are the kinds that we spend so much time trying to accumulate. What school we went to, uh, what kind of job we have, what our career path is, how much progression we've had in, in climbing the corporate ladder or whatever. How many books have you sold, in my case? You know, yeah. we, we just chase these things. But he says, the funny thing is, at funerals, nobody stands up and says, uh, Joe here was so brilliant, he, he bought a thousand shares of Microsoft before anybody heard of it. They don't talk about that. <laughs> they talk about Joe was kind, compassionate, yeah. spent time with his family, worked in a homeless shelter on the weekends, you know, those, those kinds of things. And I would say to younger people, Look at don't just look at the people that you can find flaws in. You'll they're always around you, but look for people who, despite those flaws, have something you'd like to be like, you'd like to emulate, and then uh, try to be around those people as much as possible and, and find out what their secret is. Because one day people are going to be looking at you, and if you're still reacting against your childhood and just 
testing the limits of what you can get away with. Nobody's going to be looking to you as someone they want to emulate. So keep that in mind as you mm. become the person that you're, you're going to have to live with. <laughs> well, Philip, good. was there a point where you felt like, you know, I, I have a choice here. I can either let this make me bitter or learn from this and let this make me better. Was there kind of a, a, a shifting point, a turning point where you thought, you know, I, I can choose now which way I want to go with, with my past? Kind of. Um, when I was in high school, things started to fall apart. I really, I started to realize I don't want to be like these people around me. And I didn't, I didn't have good models at that time. I saw what my brother was doing. I saw how self-destructive that was. I didn't want to be like that. And so I, I tell the story in the book of how I created this artificial shell around me. You know, I, I don't feel pain. I don't feel cold or heat. There's not such a thing as good music, bad music, all that. So that no, there were no weaknesses there, so that nobody could get to me and hurt me. And I wasn't a very pleasant person at all, and I don't recommend the way I went, but it, it did get me through a few tough years. The problem is, I, had, I became a jerk in the meantime. <laughs> I became this uh, hard shell of a self-absorbed person who was really hurting underneath, but I wouldn't face that, so I was, I was just uh, withdrawn and mm. had very few friends, didn't express emotion, didn't smile, didn't cry. And mm. gradually, uh, well, the title of the book is Where the Light Fell, and that comes from a quote by St. Augustine, who said, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look on places where the light fell. Yeah. And I, I was convinced that God was this bully in the sky who was just trying to keep me from having a good time and was going to break people. He <laughs> right. loved breaking people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard in church. And, and other things started softening me. The three things that really got to me were nature, that was always my my go-to place when things were too crazy. I would just go out into the woods and, uh, you know, claw around in an old log to dig out the beetles and chase butterflies and stuff like that. You know, it was it was just a place I could enjoy rather than fight fight that fight I'm fighting at school and in the family and places. Nature, classical music, and romantic yeah. love. And when I experienced those things, like Augustine said, I, could, I wasn't looking at the sun directly. Uh, I had been scorched by the sun. I had that image of the bully god. But I looked at these three things and experienced these th three things that were beautiful, that were soft, that were desirable. And that was a softening process. But I, I've got to tell you, as I set out in the book, when I had a conversion moment, it was not something I was seeking. It took me more by surprise than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I had kind of given up. I, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I could no longer tell the difference between going forward, accepting Jesus as my Savior, which I'd done a dozen times more, or what's, what's real and what's fake. You know, what's just the performance thing and what's genuine. And it took, um, it took a dramatic intervention by God, by God's grace. And I tell that story, and I, I've hesitated all my writing career to tell the story, because as soon as you tell a conversion story, people say, well, I didn't have one like that. Well, you're right. You know, God deals with all of us in different ways. But yeah. I think God mercifully, well, I, I, I kind of envision God 
looking at me and saying, well, Philip, you've seen some of the worst that the church has to offer. Let me show you some of the best. (laughs) Yeah, I love (laughs) it. Because from then on, uh, my writing career, I immediately uh, was surrounded by grace-filled people, mature Christians, and then uh, early on worked with this Dr. Paul Brand, who was just a saint of a man and became a father figure to me because my father died when I was a year old. So I look back and... Okay, I lived 20 years under law, but now I've lived more than 50 years under grace. That's a pretty good ratio. Amen. <laughs> and, and I think just even in my unhealthy, pulled myself into a shell way, I, I preserved that core. And then God, I, I learned how God doesn't break us. God woos us. God loves us. That's what grace is. People who don't deserve it. That's all of us. That's and right. I definitely experienced that, and that's why I keep writing about grace. Oh, wow. We are so glad you do. Uh, tell everyone, again, uh, we'll talk to you more in the, in the next podcast, but before we finish this one, uh, tell everyone again how they can pick up a copy of the book and, and, uh, yeah, and just find uh, this healing, I believe, that can come from your story. Hmm. Well, if there's a bookstore left in your area, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> yeah. place to start. <laughs> Uh, there are still some good bookstores, and of course, um, Amazon goes anywhere, and you can get it real, real quickly. But uh, my, I have a website and a Facebook site. It's just philipyancy.com is my website, and, and my name again on, on the Facebook. So whenever there is a sale going on or a different place to buy a book that might be cheaper, we, po- we post it on there. So that would be a good place to look. Thank you. Well, again, we appreciate the conversation, and we'll, we'll continue the dialogue going as we learn how to find ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Chris Maxwell is the author of 10 books, including Pause with Jesus, Underwater, A Slow and Sudden God, and his latest book of poetry, Embracing Now. You can find links to all of his work and our social media information at our website, nextstepleadership.buzzsprout.com. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. Their debut single is coming October 29th. Follow them on Instagram at Casual Americans to learn more and pre-save their new song, Somebody Famous. We release Next Step Leadership each Thursday. So join us again next week on The Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.